it, it was it was amazing because I could see in their eyes that they didn't they didn't realize that the that God cared about this. They didn't realize that that Jesus like that. No, no, no. Black man, you are made in the image of God. You are God's image bearer. No matter what society tells you, no matter what they have told us for centuries, even people who said in Jesus's name, you are inferior (laughs) and you are the cursed of ham. No matter what the, the Jonathan Edwards that enslaved us, no matter what they said. No, the Bible, God's word says you are made in the image of God. You are filled with dignity. This is a podcast that tells stories about what God is doing right now in the world. We focus on what is happening with, in, or through Christians. The Bible says in Psalm 107 verses 1 and 2, Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. His faithful love endures forever. Has the Lord redeemed you? Then speak out. Tell others He has redeemed you from your enemies. I'm your host, Emma Moore. Let's get started. Welcome to the Seeing God podcast, Welton. Well, thank you. First, I would love to hear um, just a little bit of just a general introduction to you. So um, where do you live? What do you do? Um, What's your family like? Yeah. So I am Welton Bonner, as you said. I am the preaching pastor of Greater Love Church a church plant that we started about six years ago now. Actually, our set, we're coming up on our anniversary, which we'll be celebrating six years of ministry. I am married to the honorable, beautiful Casey Michelle Bonner, and we have two beautiful children together, Elijah, he's four, and Torah, she is one. And they make our days full of joy and work. And so, so yeah, that's, that's where we are. And, and yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing that I have the, the honor to be a pastor because most people, when they look at me, they probably wouldn't guess I'm a pastor. They just guess I'm a normal guy off the street, but that's God saved me out of a life of rebellion against him and my parents and the gospel that they instilled um, tried to instill in me, but I resisted it completely, ending up in a lifestyle of thievery and robbery and, and sex outside of marriage and uh, baby mama drama. So I thought and all those are there's so many stories about that that season of life. But God ended up saving me in Upper Marlboro Jail, where for the fourth time. There, he actually opened my eyes to the gospel and reminded me of all that my parents had taught me. And there it finally clicked that they were right and I was wrong and that Jesus really is the way, the truth and the life. And there that in my bunk that night, I I cried out to Jesus. You know, I just cried out to him. Lord, you take my life. You do with it whatever you want. And he was pleased to save me and help me graduate high school when I had dropped out and 
go on to Washington Bible College. And when that closed, I went to Lancaster Bible College, met my wife. And then once we graduated, we came down to be a part of the, the team to plant Greater Love Church. And where is Greater Love Church located? Oh, we're in Washington, D.C., the nation's capital. Um, yet we're in the less pretty. Well, no, no, no. Actually, it's the most pretty side because we have the most nature in, uh, east of the river. However, it is also the, the side that has a reputation for violence, even though we have most of the families in the city. We have most of the children in the city. Um, yet we have the least resources. Uh, there's no hospital anymore east of the river. There are like two or three grocery stores, even though we have majority of the family. So anyway, so our church is in the marginalized side of the city, yet that's where God called us and where we wanted to be, because that's where we want to advance the gospel. Mm. I know that one of the things that you've been seeing God do or God show you in your current work at the church is his heart for the afflicted. Mm. Could yeah. you describe what that looks like and what is God's heart for the afflicted and oh how are goodness. you seeing God act on that? Oh my goodness. That's a great question. And, you know, just a, a, a brief little theological warrant. So I'll give you something from the old, something from the new Isaiah chapter one. He first starts out and he says to Israel, he, he calls, he tells them, I'm sick of your feasts and your new moons and your Sabbaths, they disgust me. I hate them. <laughs> I cannot stand evil and and solemn assembly. I, the, the two together, just they. I hate them. And he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to cease to do evil, learn to do good, correct oppression, plead the widow's cause, do justice to the fatherless. And so in the old covenant, we see this impetus for justice. Yet in the new covenant, we see similar things. We see how in Luke's gospel, for example, um, there's this big emphasis of God reversing the state and the, the position of the lowly from the state of the oppressed to the exalted. So, for example, Right out the gate, there is Mary, who is this maiden who would have been seen as the inferior uh, female at that time in a patriarchal society and all these things. She would have been looked at as the lowly maiden. And yet Zechariah is a priest and, and he is in this stature of at least social respect, even though he's he and his wife are barren. And yet God actually, he rebukes Zechariah who, <laughs> and silences him and, and, and yet uses Mary's faith as this example of real faith for generations. And, and then we see God constantly, uh, God in the flesh, constantly chiding and rebuking the Pharisees for doing the exact same thing that Isaiah was talking about. While they are oppressing the afflicted in their society and so oftentimes people try to separate church from state, even though in Israel there was no separation. So these Pharisees were also the officials who were oppressing um, the marginalized. And so we see that God has always had a heart for the, for the marginalized. And the gospel is very much so relevant 
for that state. And when we exalt Jesus as this marginalized Messiah who rises from the dead, we actually give hope to those who are afflicted. And then as we are transformed by the Holy Spirit, we can walk in justice and love to the nations. And so as we proclaim the the good news of Christ crucified, risen, um, and coming again, we also seek to do justice. And so I believe that that those things aren't mutually exclusive. I believe that we actually uh, attest to the integrity of the gospel when we live lives pursuing justice and correcting oppression. And so that's the theological impetus and some of the practical, I guess, ways that we see that working is kind of so in our we have this ministry called Silence the Violence and it it has kind of like two or maybe three prongs to it, so to speak. So we have silence the violence as far as our inner communal violence in our community. So we do have a problem with crime in our inner cities, but so does every impoverished place in this world. Anytime there's poverty, there's violence. Yet in African-American communities, we have kind of been relegated to these um, situations of perpetual poverty. Yet we want to build up and preach the gospel and confront our own intercommunal violence. Yet we also know that there's state inflicted violence from police, from crooked judges, from uh, prosecutors who, who give out false sentences, who don't really care about if you're right or if you actually did the crime or not. They just give you a plea bargain, offering you 10 years, you know, as if that's a good thing. And they don't really they don't want it to go to court. So there's all these there, there's both of those. Um, but then also we have the family need. So we need our, our, our men to be edified, especially in our community, where once they might make a mistake, they are stuck with the brand, that scarlet letter, so to speak, that scarlet F of felon. And they have to mark it on their job application. They have to. And, and now all of a sudden discriminating against them is is legal. Discriminating against them is uh, actually the norm, even though they've served their time. And so instead of actually giving them a chance to look at their character and look at what they've done, we say, oh, you're a felon. Well, you, you're not going to get called back. And all of these things I've stated, there's just so much research done on each one of these uh, components. Uh, but we believe that the gospel and, and the church, we can be in the forefront of fighting against these things and trying to advance the gospel while caring for the needs. So, for example, I don't have the gift of healing, even though I believe that gift continues today. But I do have gifts of teaching and we do have people in our church with gifts of service and helps. And, and so we can use these spiritual gifts in supernatural ways to meet the needs of people and use that to get the attention towards the gospel. And that's what Jesus does with miracles all throughout the New Testament. They get attention to the gospel. And so we try to meet needs and exercise our spiritual gifts and care for people to get attention to the gospel. What are some specific ways in which you have seen opportunities to meet needs? Yeah. So um, I'll start with 
this most recent one or recent two, I, I guess. So there is a, a minister of the gospel. His name is Kevin Williams, and he himself is a returned citizen. And for the, for our listeners, that means that he is a convicted felon who served his time and is coming back to society. He's returning to society. And so he had recidivized, which means he has, even though he had been set free before, he went back to jail. Um, but the second time that he did a, a, a large stint, God really gave him a passion to see himself and others not return back to the system. His ministry is called Restore. And we as a church, um, especially as elders, we had a big burden and we still have that burden to see men discipled. And, and, and yet many of our men in our community have been abandoned by their fathers or their fathers have been taken away from them for various reasons. And so there's a huge father void in our communities, but yet we have an elder elders board. There's four men in our elders um, board and we want to disciple the men in our community. And so we kind of had come up with some ways that we can disciple men and just have been praying on it and nothing had happened. But then we met with Kevin Williams and he's doing these transitional houses that have a whole discipleship. And even if you're not a Christian, they still welcome you and they have a restoration program for for everybody. And we're partnering with them currently to actually walk men through both practical skills. And if they want to, we, we welcome uh, going through the gospel and this book by Eric Mason called Manhood Restored. And it'll be like this whole kind of like organized program where they have homework and things of that nature. I call it soul work. Um, they'll have soul work that they have to do and, and, and getting into um, the word of God. And so that is one way that we're um, trying to fight to keep these men free and not returning to the system, give them the biblical foundation to oppose the, the things that are trying to drag them back to the jails and walk with them in their journey. That was one way we've seen it. But then another way we've seen it, ways that we've kind of fought to care for others and get the attention to the gospel is uh, loving and caring for the widow and the fatherless. Mm. About two months ago, a man named Kevin Red, he was walking back home from his shift at, at a restaurant. He had, he had started off as a dishwasher there and worked his way up the ranks to general manager. And he had, he had three kids and a baby on the way. And, you know, he's working hard and they got in a, a, a house and they're, um, that they're renting and they were working to get a, another house. And he's doing a great job. You know, his mom, his wife is a stay at home mom and he was gunned down on his way back home from work about two blocks up from the church and his family lived behind the church. And we saw their interview on the news and we recognized that apartment building and we're like, Oh, that's right behind the church. We have to go meet them. We have to go see them and let them know we care and that our hearts are shattered just to hear about it. And we're there for them. And so 
Um, some some people from our church donated money. We got a big care basket for the kids and for the for the mom and knocked on the door and we just started off. I would just introduce myself as a pastor and I said, We're so sorry. And immediately she was just like, Oh, you know, and she invited us in. And her name is Arana, Arana Red. And from that day forward, almost every day or every other day, we've been talking with her and caring for and and galvanizing other ministry partners with her uh, um, to support her, um, people who have heard about her story to support her. And so we've kind of been funneling funds and resources her way to walk through this time because Again, she's a stay-at-home mom. She didn't have a job um, before this because her husband was providing, and unfortunately, he didn't have life insurance yet. And so, and so, but ministry partners actually partnered with us, and they paid for the funeral and and other things like that. And we've been able to kind of uh, also meet needs. And so, we even have a little uh, drop-down menu for widows and fatherless um, on our church website. And so, all that has been going to her so that we can keep them moving forward so that they can heal and not really worry about the finances. And so I would say, and, and her family is, is, is growing in grace, even though they're mourning, you know? And so we've been walking with them. And anyway, those are some ways that we've uh, trying to, trying to advance the gospel by doing good works that draw attention to the glory of our great God. Yeah. And your church is pretty small. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yep, 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 yep. Uh, so, how many people are in your church? So we currently <laughs> we had we had twenty three, and then uh, three had to leave uh, for very some moved two moved, and then one ha- is it's taking a call into another ministry, which is really awesome. And and so we were down to 20 and then we got two more that joined recently. And so now we're at 22. So <laughs> <laughs> some people might see that as an obstacle to doing God's work. Oh, my goodness. And, but, and I, yeah, yeah, keep going, keep going. <laughs> <laughs> but when we talked a little bit ago, you said that God sets up divine appointments that just open up the door to do mm. his work. And you told a specific story about one of those divine appointments that opened up the door into a low-income housing project that you had been wanting to to serve. Mm. Could you, you know, tell us that story? Absolutely. Um, so one day, my my brother in Christ, who is is now God, is called to another ministry. Uh, but at that point, he was he had joined our church. He actually has a powerful testimony, and I had the privilege of kind of leading them to the Lord. We were best friends in sin. And and then God saved me. And about a year or two later, he saved Phil. And and we were at the church studying and we just kind of all, we both got antsy. And so um, Phil was like, man, let's take a walk around Kenilworth. And, and so I thought he was talking about the the low income project community. And he was talking about the park that's near that community, beautiful park, huge park. And so, so I started walking towards the low income housing community and he just kind of went along with it. And we just were praying for the community as we walked and ran into a local drug dealer and he was in the middle of a deal and we didn't mind, you know, this is, this is unfortunately his livelihood. And, um, we just started talking with him 
and and Phil asked him a, a just a spirit led question. He said, "What would a good church in this community look like?" And he said, "He said the man said it would come around. They would come around here and and they 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 would have their message. But but before they got into their message and everything, they would they was they would listen to what what we going through. Hear what we going through." And, and, and show love and show that they care and then share their message. Um, and they would and then and then they would, um, you know, do some do some big for the community that shut the block down and, and, and let everybody come out here and cook some food and and, and then share their message, you know. And then he was like, you know, matter of fact, there's a vigil tonight for my brother who was just killed. And man, if y'all want to come through, y'all should come through. And that was a Friday night, the same night we have our, our young adult Bible study. And so I said at our young adult Bible study, I said, y'all, we're going to go on a field trip. <laughs> <laughs> and we went in, in the basically it was like 930, something like that. It was dark and we were writing the projects and 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 we were there caring for the community. God led us right there to show his heart for the community to the community. Um, 18 year old young man named Trayvon Wood. He, he had been shot in the head, caught in the crossfire. Some guys were chasing another guy and he got a bullet to the head and died. So we went there and the spirit just aligned it so powerfully that I ran into a guy that lived on the very street that I lived on. He was like, he was like, preach, what you, what you doing here preaching? <laughs> that was my nickname around the way. And he said, I was like, man, you know, any, any, you know, any of the family members? And he brought me to the brother. And then Phil, he knew a guy that the, the young man's uncle, they worked out together. And that led us to the mom. And we prayed for the for the for the block. We prayed for him and everybody held hands and everything. It was powerful. And the mom, she hugged me and she said, and I, and I said, if there's anything you need, you call me. And she said, I will. <laughs> the next day she called me. <laughs> <laughs> and she asked me to eulogize her son to preach his funeral. And so that opportunity led to a, a, a clear, vivid gospel opportunity. I was able to preach this young man's funeral and, and, and preach the gospel unadulterated because I didn't know his eternal state. But I knew I knew the God who did. And I knew the gospel. And I knew that no matter what his eternal state would be, he would want his friends to know that Jesus is real and alive and risen. And so, so I preached that and, and, um, the whole community, at, at least that weren't Muslims and walked out of the funeral once I started to preach. Um, the majority stayed and heard the gospel that day. And then by the spirit just kept putting, um, Miss Antoinette, shout out to Miss Antoinette, just in case she hears this. And that's, that's Trayvon's mom. Um, Antoinette, she, she, God just kept putting her and the family on our hearts. Because we had opportunities to sit with them and hear Trayvon's story before the funeral. And so after the funeral, we just kind of periodically kept checking on her. And so that, so we would just, me and Casey, my wife, we would just bring chicken by the house and we would eat together and just gather. And we would stay there like four hours and just, it was just like family. And, and then that led to gospel conversations and, and it was powerful. And eventually we got connected with um, another ministry which really helps our our under our under resourced ministry is is when you know churches and suburbs help partner with us and things of that nature 
Um, and so a church did that and they were like, so we can fund anything, what y'all want to do. And so we were like, we want to do a block party for Kenilworth. And so we did that <laughs> by God's grace. And, and, and I reached out to, um, Miss Antoinette and I said, Miss Antoinette, if it's okay with you, can we, can we do this block party in honor of your son? And she was like, oh my goodness, you know, and she was so happy and she said, yes. And she advertised it to the community and the whole community came. We were dancing out there. We did some giveaways and we got to proclaim the gospel. Again, the good works draw attention to the gospel. And so we were able to proclaim the gospel. And and then later on, the spirit opened up a home for two of our women at our church. One of them who is my sister, she's actually now living across the street, the uh, literally across the street from where Trayvon was shot and killed. And God is opening up gospel opportunities there all the more. So the spirit just aligned everything so that we could pursue this community. And so we're just still in the works trying to keep pursuing Kenilworth and um, advancing the gospel there and beyond. Mm. What an amazing opportunity. Amen. I know that you both personally and and in the community as a whole have faced many of the challenges that the rest of the country is seeing Mm. on the news a Mm. lot Mm -hmm. before those things were on the news all the time. Right. Right. And you now have had some opportunities as a church to talk about those issues and to Mm. step out and, and address those things in a way that's focused on Christ Mm. and um, that, that you described as being really beautiful, a beautiful Mm. opportunity. Um, Could you tell us a little bit about that? Absolutely. Yeah. The Lord is amazing. And (laughs) he, uh, cause it's been a journey for me, even um, growing up in Prince George's County, um, a, a, a predominant, like it's predominantly black. It was the second wealthiest black county in America. So I, I've I've always seen black people doing well, but that wasn't the picture of of most people of black communities. And the reality of most black people, they you know li- typically living in um. And it, 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 I, I don't want to speak too broadly, but but oftentimes that's not the experience of black people. They often are are in communities where they're the minority and having to face uh, all the opposition that comes from that and the, the profile. And that still happens in PG County, too, and D.C., too. But it's just a little like it's, it's, it's not exactly the same. And so. I had to go through a journey myself where I became aware of the amount and the reality and the weight of systemic oppression that is occurring in our communities. And through research, uh, like one book I'll just mention that really a secular book that just goes in really well um, about this issue is The New Jim Crow. Um, by Michelle Alexander. She's a genius. (laughs) She really is. And um, but she just talks about how mass incarceration is by way of analogy, the new Jim Crow. So anyway, 
uh, I just set that as my parameter because as God showed me more and more through conversations with others and and through people pointing me to the research and digging in, it made me realize that, no, this is a demonic stronghold in our country that the gospel can actually tear down and that the church should be in the forefront of tearing down and and that the world will see like this is actually the one thing that is righteous that one of the one things that that is righteous that the world cares about and 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 that we should agree on, upon this is something that we sh- we can agree upon um maybe not exactly how to fix it and all that but we should at least be able to agree that we can decry that and so anyway the lord opened up opportunities uh, one opportunity is uh so after george floyd was murdered that really you know, we had done some things, like I said, for um, our intercommunal violence with Silence the Violence, that that ministry arm of our church. Um, but when George Floyd was murdered, God put on um, some members of our church. One of them, Sharon Bonner, she, I mean, it was Sharon King. She's actually my little sister, too. God put it on her heart to do a march. And let me tell you, this March, you know, she did it. They did the planning and I just was like, hey, I'm going to do whatever part I can do. And so they were like, well, well, and we want you on the mic. So I said, OK. Um, so I was on the bullhorn. And and when I, we got there, that day came, it was raining and it looked real ugly. But we were like, "Y'all, we're going to walk by faith no matter what. And we cried out to God to stop the rain. And mind you, while we were supposed to be gathering that very time, it was literally the sky was just pouring down on us. And we just were praying and praying and praying. And then as people started to trickle in, the rain stopped. And it didn't. And we made the whole the rest of the march was dry. Um, And so we didn't even expect because it didn't look like many people were coming. But then all of a sudden, people just started coming from everywhere and and not all were Christian. And, and so I just made it clear what we were about. And I was leading the chance. Um, and so 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 it was amazing, like even some transgenders uh, uh, representatives were there. And I talked to them and they were like, well, I said, look, I, I, we probably disagree. I'm pretty sure we, we disagree on some on some fundamental things. But one thing I, I do not want to see is any image bearer being battered and, and, and abused for their choices, not by society. And and I do not condone that. I don't care. It, you know, I might think it, I, I, I do believe the Bible teaches that that's sin, but you shouldn't be treated as less than and people can't just beat up on you because of that. No, that's not OK. And that's wrong. That's evil. And so, you know, that that transgender person, they, they said, all right, I'm a march. And they, they stayed the whole time. So we proclaimed Jesus justice. That was our biggest chant, Jesus justice. And we ended up marching right down to, to the very White House, <laughs> right at Lafayette Square. And like a thousand people are out there already. And then we're bringing hundreds of more. And then we get out there and somehow we have the attention of everybody. And I start preaching the gospel and some other people spoke to. Um, but we got to proclaim Jesus and another pastor, Nevin Turner from Revolution Church. He got to speak. And it was just a powerful time to proclaim Jesus. And and people it, it was it was amazing because I could see in their eyes that they didn't they didn't realize that the that God cared about this. 
They didn't realize that that Jesus like that. No, no, no. Black man, you are made in the image of God. You are God's image bearer. No matter what society tells you, no matter what they have told us for centuries, even people who said in Jesus's name, you are inferior (laughs) and you are the cursed of ham. No matter what the, the Jonathan Edwards that enslaved us, no matter what they said. No, the Bible, God's word says you are made in the image of God. You are filled with dignity. And so it was powerful. And and I could tell that people were impacted by it. Many people came up afterwards and and wanted to talk and everything. And so um, I think people were pointed to Jesus and Jesus was exalted through Jesus justice. Yes, I love hearing that (laughs) you are doing some hard work as all Christians are called to do. Jesus did hard work here Mm. on earth. Yes, ma'am. And we get to partner with him in that. Are there any characteristics of God or aspects of God that you have been particularly clinging to as you continue to love people? Yeah, I I would say his covenant faithfulness is the bedrock of what we do. Because the truth is, uh, me, me and my son during our like family worship time where we, you know, sit around and eat dinner and read the scriptures. Um, we've been reading through Genesis. And one of the things I keep going back to is that God is faithful to his promises, even when his people are very messy. <laughs> and, and you look at Abraham, he got messy, <laughs> you know, uh, Isaac, you know, Jacob, <laughs> there was a, there was a part in, in, <laughs> In Genesis, where, you know, the wives start competing with each other with who has the most babies with them and stuff like that and start getting that. It sounds like a Jerry Springer episode or something off of Maury, you know, Um, and that yet God is even using that to fulfill his promises to his people. And that that gives me hope for me and my weaknesses and my sin that he is greater than that. It, It gives me hope and strength that. You know what? There's people that we're serving that I don't know if it's going to ever, ever blossom the way I desire, you know, and I don't know if they're going to ever walk in a in, in in the health and the newness of life that God has desires for them. I don't know, but I know that he's faithful to his covenant. I know he's faithful to his promise. And that honestly is the the rebar of my soul <laughs> it is it is the it, it is what i keep going back to and so i would say that of late especially that's just been the one that is just good news and and that we see that in the gospel that is it's not it's not the righteous that need <laughs> need uh, a savior no it, it's 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 the sick and and that, no, I'm sick. <laughs> I need I need Jesus daily. I need his gospel daily. And so does my neighbor. And they will they will they will probably receive the they'll at least give the gospel a better hearing if they see integrity in my life. If they see the gospel in me, um, that'll probably help them at least pay it some mind. You know, I, I would say that that the fact that our God is so faithful to his covenant and we know in, in the new covenant, you know, he'll give us a new heart and uh, remove our heart of uh, stone and give us a heart of flesh. And 
He'll give us his spirit, you know, um, write the law, his laws on our hearts. That that good news that comes through the that that the, the new covenant that is afforded us through the person and work of Jesus Christ. The fact that that God is faithful to that covenant to us. I, I don't know anything that can else that can help us get through hard stuff, you know, because if we think that we can mess up God's plan, then you're going to be living in a very anxious way. And I don't think that's what God would have for us. I I, I haven't ever seen once where people messed up God's plan. <laughs> I've never seen that in scripture. I've seen where people have done things that he, he did not want them to do, but it never altered his plan. In fact, what we find is that even our worst stuff actually is a part of it and actually God uses. And so that, that is what I bank on, you know, and and not as a, as a license to sin, but a license to, to actually live in the grace that God has given us and to live in that freedom and to walk confidently that I'm loved by God, not based upon my works, not based upon my righteousness, but based upon his faithfulness to his covenant. And and, and let me just say one more thing that Absolutely. I think that that truth is helpful for me, too. And, and this is the other way I've seen God at work is just the way he ways he humbles me, you know, and and that, yeah, like we've been six years in it and we have 21 members, you know, <laughs> and it's like. In church planting, that's not what you want to see. And that's not the way they tell you it's supposed to work. They ministry, they, they, they give us three years of support. And then if, the, if you're not sustainable by then, then so what? You know, like, I'm sorry. That's all we can do. But what I find is that, you know what? God is number one. He is the he is the one. This is his ministry. This is this is his thing. And in Welton, you can't. Like he's he's taking away my vainglory. He's taking away, you know, that can say, oh, yeah, I did it. You know, I did it. I, I did. I planted, uh, you know, I helped plant this church and now it's success, successful because of what we've done. And the truth is, he every good thing we've ever done has been from him anyway. It is from him and to him and through him are all things. And so just really trying to anchor myself in that and and crucify my idols of success because we can get into ministry just like we can get into uh entertainment industry we can we can get into those things for vainglory it might not start that way but it can get that way and i think god is constantly crucifying that and i think that's part of the reason like he's like well and will you be faithful to me even when you don't see things happening the way you want it to will you love my people even if they're not even if they're not loving me well Will you will you serve even if even if you feel like that it's hard and it's weary? And I think that covenant faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness is what really helps me say, well, Lord, because you're so faithful to me, I want to be faithful to you, too, no matter what the results look like. And so I think that that has been a way I've been seeing God work It's just helping me come to peace with the fact that greater love church might not grow the way I want it to. Um, and I can, I can learn, I can, you know, grow in my leadership skills and stuff like that too. Don't get me wrong. But at the end of the day, it's from the Lord. He has the increase. And so I have to just trust him with that and relinquish the desire to, you know, manufacture growth or 
do the next catchy thing, but keep doing ministry based on the word of God. And so that's that's something that I've been um, banking on, too. Yeah. So you're seeing God faithfully clear away your idols, Amen. things that you might be looking to instead of him and replace them instead with a greater appreciation of his faithfulness to you. Amen. That's it. Thank you so much, Welton, for taking the time to share what you are seeing God do, how you are seeing his character be manifested in your life personally and in the lives of the people around you. Mm. Really appreciate it. Thank you for asking. Psalm 107 verse 43 says about stories like this, those who are wise will take all this to heart. They will see in our history the faithful love of the Lord. If you have a story you'd like to share, or you know of someone who does, please go to our website at www.seeinggodpodcast.wordpress.com and click on submit a story. God is doing things all over in all of his people, and we want to know about as many stories as possible. So please do go to the website and submit a story. Also, we would love to hear your thoughts on this episode or the podcast in general. You can tweet us at God Seeing or comment on our Instagram or Facebook pages at Seeing God Podcast. You can also email us at seeinggodpodcast at gmail.com. This episode was produced in the studios at Lancaster Bible College. I'm Emma Moore. Our interviewer is Jan Gebert. Our engineer is George Haynes. And our show music is Siberia by Dmitry Lukyanov. Thanks for listening to this episode of Seeing God. Seeing God.